If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. He's got it! Touchdown, Jack Doyle! And he's going to be brought down inside the 15, and it's going to go to DeForest Buckner. Huge hole! He's at the 30! He's going to go! 10-5! Touchdown, Jonathan Taylor! From the Power Home Solar Studio, let's get the podcast started. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Colts official podcast presented by WinBet, proud sportsbook partner of your Indianapolis Colts. Betting is a team sport. Bet together at WinBet, and we stay together on this show Miss Lara Overton, J.J. Stankovitz, and voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, are right around the corner. We also have from the Houston Chronicle an NFL legend, John McClain, covering this league for almost 50 years. And little known fact, he is a great actor in Hollywood. That is true. We're going to find out more from John McClain. And the man that was celebrated last Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium, Robert Mathis, will join us to talk about the upcoming Colts and Texans game. She shows up, her lovely person, we love Miss Lara Overton. Uh, I call her the captain of this ship because you keep us afloat. And 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 one thing is, nothing's changed since last week. Don't get on her bad side, or you will get ripped a new one, Miss Lara Overton. Thank you for joining us again. I, I'm just the captain because I'm buoyant. That's the only reason you call <laughs> me the captain. <laughs> yeah, great, and also doing a great job with us week in and week out. Appreciate the time you give us, JJ Stankovitz, Colts.com senior writer. You can follow him uh, at JJ. Stankovitz on Twitter, but also read him on Colts.com. Download the Colts app if you have to. It's uh, it's all JJ all the time there and all Lara all the time there, which I love. Less of me is better. But guys, we got to bring in one of the stars of the HBO series Hard Knocks. You hear him week in and week out. I'm talking about the voice of the Colts. Matt Taylor joins us. Matey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm no John Facenda, but <laughs> you're getting there, bro. On hard knocks, don't we? <laughs> you're getting there, though. But make sure you don't have any. Uh, you're not eating while you're calling the game because hard knocks will pick it up, and you'll be all. <laughs> you'll be everywhere. Now, listen. I I got to start, and I'm just going to start with the heavy hits, and it's 38-31 uh, in control of that football game. A lot of it, especially in the first half, we did have some offensive uh, on both sides of the ball for both teams, rather uh, a little bit of dragging their feet a little bit and then it picked up in the second half and the fireworks went off. Mate, here's what I love about you. And if you haven't listened to Mate, if you're listening to this podcast over in Australia, he takes it personally. And you can hear that on the uh, on the air when he's calling these games. The excitement level when we're, we're doing well and down in the in the in the doldrums when we're not doing well. Mate, that was a tough one to lose. I thought that Lucas Oil Lucas Oil crowd was the most electric that I've heard in some time going against Brady and the Bucks. If you could just give me your once over over the afternoon well, I don't know if I take it personal but I certainly lose myself in the game right I mean you know it's just such a back and forth game and every play means so much and obviously you know when mistakes are made it's just I feel like a fan it's just like ah you know it's just come on and, and that's that's what's happening to the Colts unfortunately that game uh, represented the third game this season where the Colts drop a contest where they're up by double figures and you know, you can't play coulda, woulda, shoulda, but, you know, as a fan, you just wonder yourself if the Colts close those games out, if they beat the Titans when you're up 14 to nothing, if you beat Baltimore when you're up 19 points in the fourth quarter, if you can close out uh, the Buccaneers when you're up 10 to start the second half, you know, you'd be 9-3, and three, and all of those teams are really good teams, and you'd earn a lot of respect across the country in the NFL, 
you know, you'd be nine and three, and you'd probably be the top team in the AFC. But again, it doesn't matter. It's coulda, woulda, shoulda. That doesn't matter. And you're six and six, and you are what your record says you are. And the Colts are a 500 team right now, and their three-game winning streak has been snapped. And you know, if the playoffs were to start today, Jeffrey, the Colts would be on the outside looking in. And I think they're in tenth place in the AFC right now, so they got their work cut out for them. But the good news is it's still a jumbled mess in the AFC, and, and I think they're only within a half game of the, the last wild card spot there at number seven. The Chargers are at six and five, and there's a lot of teams you need to be rooting for and rooting against coming up, you know, starting in week number 13. But, you know, you just can't, you can't win any game. I, I don't care if, you know, you're playing Blake Bortles, Tom Brady, or Joe Montana. I mean, you're not going to win a football game when you turn the ball over four times, I know it was technically five, but really it right. was four. And they had 24 points off those turnovers. And, you know, so many things you can point to in a game like that where it was kind of lost or where the game turned and what the turning point was. But for me, it's you, you have such a great end of that half, that two-minute drill. You go 14 plays, and you're surgical down the field, and you get a touchdown to T.Y. Hilton right before the half to go up 10. You get the ball first to begin the third quarter. You're marching. You have the ball first and 10 at their 20. A touchdown right there, in my opinion, really kind of seals it. I think the Colts win that game if they go up 17 points. Uh, but then Shaq Barrett gets the strip sack, and they score a touchdown. The next time the Colts have the ball, they throw another interception or turn the ball over again on that deep 50-50 ball to Michael Pittman Jr., where Antoine Winfield made a great you know, one of the greatest interceptions I've ever seen live and in person. And they score another touchdown after that. And really, the game just was never the same. So second half, obviously, was something to forget if you're the Colts. But you have to learn from it. And again, you're just trying to find ways to close these games out. The Colts have proven they can compete with anybody. They can beat anybody. Um, but they have to put a full 60-minute uh, game together. And they just haven't done that consistently this season. And with five games to go, guys, we all know the margin for error right now is beyond razor thin at this point. So here's where I'm at, where I've settled on with this game against the Buccaneers, Matt. So I, I like looking at the advanced stats to kind of tell, kind of confirm what my eyes saw during the game. And what my eyes saw during the game is that the Colts on a play-to-play basis were the better team. Obviously, the five turnovers, that that the, the four or five turnovers, whatever you want to call it, that cost the Colts the game. But on a play-to-play basis, I thought, huh, I really thought the Colts actually outplayed the Buccaneers. If you go to the advanced stats, expected points added per play, the Colts had more EPA per play than the Bucks. They had a higher EPA per play than the Buccaneers in that game on Sunday, which tells you, yeah, they did outplay the Bucks on a play-to-play basis. That is what you take out when you take out the turnovers, I should say. When you add in the turnovers, the Buccaneers had a higher EPA per play. So th- those turnovers, I mean, they were... They were just, it was four completely different kinds of turnovers. The first one was the Zach Pascal fumble on the completion. The second one was the strip sack. The third one was that interception with Antoine Winfield, by the way, on that play, Matt. You know, you could see it from the broadcast booth where he flips his hips so quickly to cover that ground and then track that ball and then beat a guy in Michael Pittman Jr., who is a physical, tall, Six foot four receiver. I mean, you're right. That was one of the most incredible interceptions I've ever seen live. And then the other one, the Naheem Hines, you know, uh, muffed punt. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like these mistakes were coming in the exact same way. They were just kind of, I almost want to say they were like four isolated, not random, but 
there are four isolated mistakes that happened irrespective of the other ones that had previously happened in the game. And it almost just leaves you scratching your head of like, how did this happen when the Colts played so well? And one of those mistakes doesn't happen. The Colts might win this game. Right. Three yeah, turnovers no, instead exactly of, yeah, right. right. I think you go, I mean, say the same thing. You go back a couple of weeks ago in week five, you know, if the Colts, if they get one stop on Baltimore, if they get one stop on a two-point conversion, if they make one kick, if they make one PAT, you know, that game doesn't go to overtime and they win it outright in regulation. And I love you, JJ. You're, you're talking about DVOA and EPA. I mean, you're like Matthew Broderick in war games, man. You're bringing all the analytics. You're like on a, on a Texas. You do look there. like Broderick, bro. Like you. Thank you. A little bit. Yeah, yes. I'll take it. <laughs> you know, you're typing. You're typing away there on your Mac. I love it. Like in war games, man, up like a code red. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, you know, we talked about it last night on, on Colts Roundtable Live with with Joe and Rick and. You know, one of the things I brought up to them was, hey, you know, you had those technically five turnovers. Is this something to be, you know, should we freak out about this now? I mean, you know, going into that game, the Colts hadn't turned the ball over in three games leading into Sunday, and then all of a sudden they come away with five or turn the ball over five times. And I do agree with you, JJ. I, I do think it's an isolated incident, but the defense, unfortunately, did not hold up their end of the bargain right. like they had been doing in the previous 11 games. I mean, as I said, the Colts allowed 24 points off of turnovers. A lot of those came in the second half. And in the previous 11 games, the Colts' defense on 10 turnovers or 10 you know, sudden change moments that they were put in, they had allowed 26 points off of turnovers all season in the previous 11 games. So then 24 in one game on Sunday. I, I think it's an anomaly and, you know, it's just one of those things where if you look at the origin of the turnovers, everybody's got to be just a little bit better and a little bit more focused, especially down the stretch here with five games to go. Again, your margin for error is so, so thin. Everybody's got to be on their P's and Q's. And I know everybody says that. It sounds cliche, but not to say, uh, you know, uh, call these guys out. That's not what I'm trying to do. But just as an example, right, it's Eric Fisher you got to protect. You can't be, you can't get beat that bad by Shaq Barrett on the strip sack. It's Naeem Hines coming forward, and you got to look that that fair catch in, right? I mean, you just can't afford those muff punts. I mean, it's like a chunk play for for Tampa Bay right there on a, on a punt. You know, they start the first and ten and plus territory on the nineteen yard line. That's like a fifty yard gain and a pass play almost after they recover that fumble. So it, you're exactly right. I think it is an anomaly. But unfortunately, in a really big game where the Colts were looking to validate what they did the week before against Buffalo, they, no pun intended, dropped the ball. And we're back to this narrative again where it was only one game against Buffalo. They really took it to the Bills, and they snapped that eight-game losing streak to teams that made the playoffs from 2020. And we're right back at it again talking about, all oh, the Colts just they are not good enough. The narrative around the fan base, around the NFL is, the Colts are sort of the best of the rest, and they just can't consistently beat these top teams that you know finished in the division round or the AFC Championship or the NFC Championship last year. Mate, I've got back-to-back questions for you in regards to the running game for both Tampa Bay and for the Indianapolis Colts. All right, I know you are not a big social media guy, but Leonard Fournette has a lot of nicknames. He's Playoff Lenny, then he became Lombardi Lenny, and then after the game Sunday, Rob Gronkowski got on his Instagram 
and called him, you know, Lenny for tutties for Lenny Fournette. Where do we stand on the use of the name of the phrase tutties for touchdowns? Are we pro <laughs> or con tutties? We are we are very con tutties. Yeah. Okay, good because I, I don't very, I don't like uh, it. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm with you. It's it's kind of a hipster thing. I'm I'm very much old school. Tutty sounds like. Uh, I don't know. Tutty sounds like someone born in 1998 talking about football, in my opinion. Um, yeah. By the way, not to hijack the show, because I thought, Jeffrey, I told you this after the game, you did a fantastic job on the sideline with the reports and with the, the interviews um, and, and the spotting and everything. Jeffrey, you were fantastic. At the same time, we miss Lara like crazy. Absolutely. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be great to have Lara coming back on, on Sunday uh, in, in Houston. But hey, let, hold on to... one second, real quick. Just so you know, she was feeding me all the information, bro, from her <laughs> from her couch. All I had to do was read my phone. It's real easy when you work with Lara Overton. <laughs> hey, just field producing, well, that, right? That, that I'm not surprised. That, I'm, you're, you're, I think you're proving my point here. Exactly. During the game, this this mental image popped into my head. You guys know that scene from Hoosiers where where shooters like listening to the radio. Uh, during the state championship yeah. game because he can't be there and he's in the hospital, sure. and, like jumping up and down and like pacing and screaming at the nurses. <laughs> That's what I envision Lara doing during the game. I can see it. So, do you? Okay, I will tell you guys a couple of things, and we'll get back on track with the podcast. Uh, I terrified the dog because I couldn't <laughs> sit down. I was like pacing back and forth. I'm cheering. I'm yelling. I'm, I'm you know running to my computer to text Jeffrey, doing all these different things. And then I, I have heard, and Jeffrey could probably confirm or deny this story, that at one point, like, didn't Peyton Manning shower at halftime of the Super Bowl or something because he wasn't happy with his play, so he decided he was going to turn things around by, like, showering at halftime and changing it, like, put on an entirely new, new uniform? Done I it. went and showered at halftime <laughs> and put on a oh different outfit and put on the shirt that I wore last week the uh, that that, we, that I was wearing when we beat the Bills. So I completely <laughs> changed at halftime thinking it would impact the results. Guys, I am crazy. Like, this is why, like, my husband was not home to witness any of this. He's like, I got to go. Like, I your can't dog, be here. Your dog you. thought you were nuts, right? Oh, I mean, he knows. He knows I'm nuts. This just, you know, further confirmed everything that he believed uh, about his mother. So, yes. Um, so, no, Matt, your description is completely accurate, uh, described as only you can because you know me that well. But want to go back to getting things somewhat on track. When Coach Reich opened his Monday afternoon press conference, he went through a very lengthy explanation. And I think more candid than any head coach in the league would be in regards to play calling and gave a very descriptive breakdown on why they were passing as frequently as they were. You know, everyone was criticizing for abandoning the run. He went into a deep explanation about how some of these RPO calls went. And it was one of the more revealing explanations I have ever been given. And I think that Colts fans really appreciated some of this. Frank Reich didn't owe that necessarily to anyone, but this is one of the things that I really appreciate about the head coach is that he not feels not so much felt like he had to defend himself, but I think he had this opportunity to kind of teach people about what was happening within this offense and within their play calling that led to some really revealing information in regards to Mm -hmm. why we did not see the ball in the hands of Jonathan Taylor as frequently as many people expected. No, yeah, I was there. I listened to it and you're exactly right. Frank uh, did everybody a great service for, for the education and sort of 
peeling back the onion on the game plan after the fact. And, you know, I understand why the fan base is, is sort of um, frustrated by this. I totally get it. I think the Colts fans, I think Colts fans are smart. I think the fan base is very intelligent. And, you know, you look at Jonathan Taylor and you think to yourself, you know, why, why wouldn't you give this guy the ball, you know, 20, 25 times per game? He's so good. He's so athletic. He can do so many things with it in the run game and the pass game. Um, and we, we've seen that on display this year. He leads the NFL in rushing and scrimmage yards and, and so on and so forth. But <clears throat> to kind of set up the argument, again, you look at the numbers, and it's easy to look at the numbers, and you say, when the Colts this year pass more than 35 times in a game, they're 0-6. When they pass less than 35 times in a game, they're 6-0. and And that feeds into just give the ball more to Jonathan Taylor and just let him go to work, just – you know, grind out that running game and let the offensive line do their thing and let Taylor prove again that he's one of the best backs in the NFL. But it's sort of like Bill Belichick, right? I mean, we've seen the Patriots year after year. One week they run the ball 38 times for 200 yards, and then the next week they come back and they throw the ball over 40 times, and they're 2-0 and in the process. And the reason why or the reason is they're playing the team that they're playing that week. They're game-specific. And that's what the Colts were trying to do in this game against Tampa Bay, who had the best rushing defense in the NFL. And I realized the week before you played Buffalo, who had the third best rushing defense in the league, and you ran for 264, but you're playing the scheme, you're playing the men, and you're playing what their strengths are. And they were by far the best rushing defense in the league. And they've got great players on that side of the ball in their front seven with Barrett and Vita Vea and Pierre Paul and, Levante David and, and, and you know, White um, at linebacker. Uh, they've got really, really good players. Plus, they're led by Todd Bowles, who schematically, he, he, he in this game, he sold out to stop the run. He stacked the box. They blitzed a ton, which they always do. And so I think, you know, Frank is getting criticism from the fan base, and people are saying, hey, why didn't you run the ball more with Jonathan Taylor? Why did you pass so much? But I think had the Colts gone the other way, if they would have ran the ball – 40 times in this game or 35 times for 80 yards, they would have gotten blown out. They would have actually gotten blown out in this game. And so it was working in the, in the second quarter. The, the Colts were absolutely surgical in the second quarter. They had three touchdowns. You know, the two-minute drive at the end of the half, again, was just so precise. And everybody's pointing to the fact that the Colts had 26 straight pass attempts uh, between the end of the second quarter and the start of the third quarter. To me, wipe out 14 of those plays because that was a two-minute drill and you're going to throw the ball anyways, and you got a touchdown. So what are you complaining about? Um, but a lot of those plays, those pass plays that were called in the third quarter were RPOs, and that's mm-hmm. a design schematically to beat that system with Todd Bowles, who is selling out to stop the run. You know, we, we, I don't want to get too schematic or too into the weeds because we all heard from Frank Reich last night. But basically – with an RPO, it's designed to have a conflict defender. You take everybody away except for one guy. That's the guy that the quarterback reads. And based off that, Carson Wentz, based on that guy, decides to either throw the ball or give the ball to Jonathan Taylor based on what that one key is. And the key is, obviously, during that stretch, it was throw the ball, and the Colts were doing that. Again, I don't think we'd be talking about this had the Colts not turned the ball over on consecutive drives to begin the third quarter, but because they lost and because they did turn the ball over, everybody's talking about, hey, you abandoned the run, you didn't give the ball enough to Jonathan Taylor, and that's why you lost the ball game. So I think it's 
I think it's actually great coaching by the Colts. You know, you have to beat the team um, that you're playing that day, no matter how you have to do it to get the job done. And again, it's sort of like a Bill Belichick um, type of a mindset. And I know everybody's pointing to the fact that at the end of that game in the fourth quarter, when the Colts went down the field and they tied it up and they used the running game with Jonathan Taylor, and he had over 50 yards on that last touchdown drive, big reason why is the Colts, they took what was given to them. The Buccaneers backed off, and Bruce Arians talked about that yesterday. They didn't stack the box on that drive. They only had six guys in the box on that possession because they didn't think the Colts would be patient enough down by a touchdown late in the fourth quarter in crunch time to stick with the run, and that's exactly what the Colts did. So in my opinion, I think it's great coaching by the Colts. It's great schematics by Frank Reich, and I know Jonathan Taylor is elite, and you want to force feed him a little bit, but at the end of the day, you just can't bang your head against the wall knowing that the strength of the other team is taking away the run with you know the scheme and the great players they have in their front seven. I mean, th- this is the challenge in the NFL, Matt, is that you have to be able to win in different ways. If you have one way you can win games, and that one way is just with Jonathan Taylor, then teams are going to say, all right, well, that's pretty easy. We can stop that. You know, at least the good teams who have the players to do it, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and what the Colts have is an offense that can win in different ways. We hadn't seen this version of the offense in a couple of weeks because the Colts hadn't needed it, but it's there. And again, like I, I, I look at these turnovers, and yet there's lack of execution on them, but that if it was just Carson Wentz getting picked off because guys were jumping routes over and over and over again, that would be one thing, but that's not what it was. It was, I mean, Carson Wentz, I don't even think you can really ascribe blame to him for the, the, the strip sack and then the, the interception to Pittman. You want him throwing that mm-hmm. ball to Pittman. You, you absolutely want him looking for Kylan Granson, who, by the way, was beating Levante David on that play that had the strip sack. Could have been a touchdown. Very well could have been a touchdown on that play. And th- th- this, is, this is where I'm not worried about this team even at 6 and 6 even with the margin of error being pretty low is that they yes they lost but when you zoom out they just went toe to toe with the defending super bowl chance champ scored 31 points committed four turnovers and mm-hmm. were they had two shots at the end zone at the end of the game to tie it i mean this team is one or two plays away from winning that game and you can say that about a lot of games this year but when you're that close going into the month of December and then January, all it takes is one or two plays for the, mm-hmm. those, those games to turn into a win against the Patriots, a win against the Cardinals, a win against the Raiders, maybe even a win in the playoffs. It's not that far off. I, I agree with you, and I would say that, you know, I don't know if any more negative things could have happened to the Colts in that second half and they still almost overcame adversity, and they still almost won that game. You're exactly right. I mean, 31 points with four turnovers, who does that, right? I mean, that's how good this offense is right now, and if they just clean up these little things, they're going to be in good shape, and they should be able to close out these last five games strong, you know, hopefully with a 5-0 and record or 4-1 and to make the playoffs, but they're going to have to start closing these games out. And going back to the RPO conversation, you know, if you want to get nitpicky, you know, you can say, all right, it's, it's, it's almost too many RPOs, or if you want to make that conversation or have that, that talk, you know, calling an RPO on first down against a loaded box, obviously that's going to be a pass. 
So just call a design run and get the ball into the hands of Jonathan Taylor and see if you can get three to four yards and stay on schedule for second down. I, I get that conversation to a degree, but going forward, what's going to be interesting now is the Buccaneers did it to the Colts and they had a reasonable amount of success. Now I understand the Buccaneers stopped the run just about as good as anybody in the league or maybe better, but it's a copycat league. So now going forward, are we going to see the Texans try to duplicate what they did, the Buccaneers did to the Colts? Are we going to see the Raiders do what Tampa Bay had success with? So that's going to be something to watch out for now going forward. I think RPOs are here to stay in this offense, and it's a good way to move the ball when teams are selling out to stop the run when they're loading the box against this Colts defense, or Colts offense, I should say, guided by Jonathan Taylor. That's Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, Lara Overton, J.J. Stankovitz. Follow him on Twitter, at Maytay Colts, at Lara Overton, at J.J. Stankovitz. I'm not going to go backwards. We're looking forward to Houston, but before we do – we need to find an answer anytime Gronk is at Lucas Oil Stadium because he simply filleted this defense with the expertise of him and Brady. But I, I digress. I move on to Houston, so I'm going to throw this out for the room. Maytay, let's start with you. The biggest game this season is coming up in Houston. The reason I say that is, yeah, oh, the Colts will waltz over them. They're terrible. They're, hold on. Houston beat Tennessee. I know they were dinged up and everything. We're going to find out about that Houston team coming up with John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. But, guys, the importance of this game and what it means with a loss, what it means with a win. Well, first of all, I mean, I think you're right. Defensively, the Texans are playing much better than when we saw them way back in week number six. It's almost like a different team. I mean, October 17th at Lucas Oil Stadium when the Colts won 31-3, to that might as well be 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And – They've given up 17 points, 13 points at Tennessee, by the way, in a win, and then 21 points in a loss to the Jets. So defensively, they're playing better, at least output-wise. Lovey Smith is obviously doing a good job from his defensive coordinator position, and they've made a bunch of roster moves. Uh, You know, they've had a lot of injuries, and they're just kind of bringing guys in and, and, you know, shuffling the roster and kind of just seeing what sticks here. As they rebuild their franchise, they're 2-9. and nine. Um, Guys are playing for their jobs. They're playing for pride. But they would love to spoil this party on the Colts, just like they almost did twice last year. Remember, the, the Texans came within, what, a total of six yards of, sweep, of sweeping the Colts. So it's not going to be a layup. They never are inside the AFC South. It's a huge game because it's the next game. It's a division game. But, again, the Colts' margin for error is so, so slim. You've got to beat the Texans. You've got to beat the Jaguars, two teams record-wise that, you know, you, you should take care of. But any given Sunday in this league, man, and so they've got a new quarterback now in Tyrod Taylor. It's not going to be the rookie out of Stanford. Um, you know, so he does have experience. He does have the knowledge and the fortitude to beat a Colts team and take advantage of this defense. Um, and one thing that I'm looking for is the Colts defense – they gave up what a buck forty on the ground to the uh, to the Buccaneers, mm-hmm. and you talk about Gronk having a big game. Fournette ran for a hundred yards and he had four touchdowns. I mean that just that just can't happen. I mean, if you're if you would ask me before that game, which of their you know above average players would have a big game against the Colts? Fournette would have been the last guy I would have said. You know I would have said maybe Evans or Gronk, right. but it was Fournette who had a huge huge game against the Colts, and they got to stop the run. The Colts, that's been their hallmark really you know, since 2018 under Matt Eberflus, but that number is sort of creeping up here. It's ballooning up 
um, on the Colts' defense. We'll see if DeForest Buckner can play. That'll help against Houston. But Houston had a good game running the ball back in week number six against the Colts. I think they had 124 yards on the ground against the Colts in the first game. So that's that's what I'm watching is Tyrod Taylor on offense. Can the Colts' rush defense improve? And, you know, can you just make enough plays against a bad football team that's 2-9 and nine that's trying to, you know, spoil your playoff hopes? All right, that's Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. Appreciate the time. Uh, keep up the great work on, uh, on Hard Knocks. And the most important thing that you're going to get from, from this chat is Lara is back next week, okay? No more Gorman <laughs> working with you uh, like that. So Lara is back next week. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. Follow him on Twitter, at Colts. Appreciate it, my friend. All right, you guys are the best. Well, we welcome on from the Houston Chronicle. He's been covering this game, this Sunday professional game, for almost 50 years. He can be heard on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. The legendary John McClain joins us. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, guys. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you very much. I I mean, I'm going to do the broad first question when we're talking about these Texans. Uh, Overall, as a franchise, foundationally speaking, is there some bright spots to look forward to? possibly next season, the season after that. Where are the Houston Texans in this day and age uh, as far as the future goes? As we speak, they are second in line for making that high draft choice. And uh, they've had the first overall pick three times, quarterback David Carno, two, defensive end Mario Williams, 06, defensive end Davion Clowney, 2014. They need a quarterback, but right now there's no quarterback worth that pick. General Manager Nick Casario is putting this team through a total rebuild. And when I say total, I mean total. And they uh, need a lot of players. They they have their first round pick for the first time in three years. Last year they did, well this year they didn't have a second round pick either. So Casario, I wrote a column today about his first draft. They flashed enough to bode well for the next one that he knows what he's doing, even though he's a GM for the first time in his 21-year career, the first 20 with the Patriots. And so uh, this team, next year, they won't recognize it. There's a lot of players who are not here from that first game against the Colts that Colts won 31-3. to So it's a revolving door at NRG Stadium, and this is not a one- or two-year process. I figure if they make all the right moves, it'll be – 2023 before they're competitive. So one of those guys who was not here for that game at Lucas Oil Stadium, Tyrod Taylor, he'll start at quarterback this weekend for the Texans. Davis Mills started that game uh, back at Lucas Oil Stadium, did not have a very good day to say the least. But what can you tell us about Tyrod Taylor? Obviously, you know, we, we know him. He's been around for quite a bit. But, you know, I, I feel like, John, I see highlights of Houston and Tyrod Taylor's throwing passes you know, to, to Brandon Cooks for touchdowns. He's running in for scores, but then they're, you know, losing to the Jets. So so what can you tell us about Tyrod Taylor? Yeah, that, that Jets loss in which they were favored for the first time this year, probably the only time this year, was about three points. I thought they were going to win. They jumped out 14-3. Taylor threw two touchdown passes, and then the offense did do squat the rest of the way. The defense has played better. Since they gave up two long touchdown passes to the Colts, they've not done that since. They've given they haven't given up more than two touchdowns in a game in the last three games. Now a lot of that had to do with the talent, the Dolphins, and then an injury depleted Titans and then the Jets. 
but they can't protect their def- their offensive line has been awful and that it's so strange they played the titans and gave up no sacks that was going against Terrell Landry, Jeffrey Simmons, and Danico Autry, all of whom. They had 10, 7.5, and 5 sacks, and they got rid of the ball quick. Taylor moved a lot, but no sacks. And they come back to the Jets and give up 5, just like they'd given up 5 to the Dolphins before they played the Titans. So their offensive line is not good. They have the worst running team in the history of Houston pro football, and we look it up every week. They're last in rushing. Last year, they were 31st. Only the Steelers were behind them. And they made changes, new offensive line coach, a lot of new players, new scheme. They still can't run. And one of the reasons is the backs that they have. And so they, their best runner is Tyrod Taylor. He had a 30-yard run against the Jets. And the Colts will have to be aware of him taking off. They don't have many design runs. Every once in a while, a bootleg. But he's very smart. And if he gets time to throw, he's accurate. Problem is, teams are blitzing them. They can't pick it up. And then they're getting steamrolled up front. So I look for the Colts to win this game decisively. And uh, But they at least with Taylor in the lineup, they've scored two touchdowns in the last two games. And that's a big deal for them to score two touchdowns. And, John, we've seen the Colts' defense really have some problems, have a tough task against the more mobile quarterbacks who have, you know, the uh, tendency to work the boot and roll out the way that they do. Of course, looking good, they looked good against the Buffalo Bills and containing Josh Allen. But earlier in the season, that was something that gave this defense a bit of fits. And the Texans snapped an eight-game losing streak, helping to hand Tennessee back-to-back losses for the first time this season. Have we seen this Texans team have a bit of Jekyll and Hyde type of tendency in which they've been able to step up and have a, a nine-point win over the Tennessee Titans, but also struggle against other teams like you saw against the Jets? I said before they played the Titans, the only way the Titans would lose that game is if everybody got food poisoning. And then I do a <laughs> weekly radio show in Nashville, and they asked me how did it happen. I said they all got food poisoning. I just to explain it. And um, and so the only thing the Colts got to worry about in this game is boredom, you know, taking them lightly. That's the kind of thing a head coach goes crazy if you bring up. But if you watch – when the Colts have watched the tape of the t- Texans, you know, they see an offense that can't run at all. And so if you can't run, that puts so much pressure on the quarterback. And then if you're inconsistent protecting him, it's amazing they move the ball at all. And then defensively, they had 10 interceptions, 5-5 five and five in back-to-back games against Miami and Tennessee. They intercepted Ryan Tannehill three times in the fourth quarter, two times down by the end zone, worst game Tannehill ever played. So they come back and they only have one turnover in the in the game against the Jets. They're in a position where they have to force turnovers to have a chance to win. They had five at Miami and still got beat 17-9 because the offense struggles so bad. And uh, and so I don't think – I can't say they're not capable of winning because they did beat the Titans. But when I say the Titans are decimated by injuries, I haven't seen many teams – that, you know, if you're missing your receivers, they played A.J. Brown. He got hurt on the first series. Oof. Now he's on IR. They were playing guys at receiver. I'd had to look them up. Had no clue 
who they were. And then, of course, they're missing Derrick Henry. But that kind of was a surprise. And I'll guarantee you, Frank Reich is showing them that Titans tape saying, now this is what can happen if you get food poisoning. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. Hey, John McClain joins us. Follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. That's McClain underscore on underscore NFL. I want to talk to you, John, about David Culley and the job that he did coming into a situation that he did with the Deshaun Watson drama. What kind of job has he done, uh, in your opinion? Obviously, the wins aren't there, but, you know, they're trying to keep this ship afloat. They brought in David Culley, who'd never been a coordinator and never had an interview for a head coaching job. They hired him over Leslie Frazier, the Bills' defensive coordinator. And we believe one of the reasons they did it, they wanted somebody at the opposite end of the personality spectrum as Bill O'Brien. When O'Brien got fired last year after 4 start, everybody was walking on eggshells. Bill's temper was worse than it ever been. He blew up at everybody. And, and the owner, Cal McNair, did not think that was conducive to what you needed when you were in that situation. And so they fired him. They elevated Romeo Cornell, their defensive coordinator. And so Cully, Cully and I'll tell you this, I have never met a finer man. He's honest. We ask him questions, and he'll tell us. And sometimes he tells us without us asking. And he, he doesn't mind being critical, but it's constructive criticism. And, of course, he starts with himself. But he is a, he is a picture of positivity, and they needed that. They needed somebody to come in who everybody respects. I don't know anybody that doesn't like David Culley. Now, as a coach, he's made some game management decisions that were bad, but almost every coach does that. You know, if you think about it, how many times do we have a head coach that we're not second-guessing them? And Frank Reich, I remember that time in that overtime victory at uh, NRG Stadium. I can't remember what it was. He went for it, didn't kick the field goal. Everybody second-guessed him when the Texans won. And so all coaches get second-guessed. Cully's doing it for the first time. Players like him, respect him. Problem is, he doesn't have a lot of talent. He doesn't have much talent at all. And the roster turnover is not – the constant turnover is not what you need for continuity. So there's people here saying, oh, he'll be one and done. That'd be grossly unfair to bring in a coach and stick him with this kind of roster and then fire him after one year. I think he ought to get at least three years to see if he can turn it around. And this team needs talent. They got nine draft choices after having five this year, and they're figured to have more because finally – we hope they trade Deshaun Watson. And Cully needs to be back next year to see what he can do with a younger roster. They decided this year to try to build a culture, so they brought in veterans, a lot of veterans, and hoping they could establish it. Cully has suspended three players for disciplinary violations. We'd never see that. Usually they'd just get fined. Justin Reed, their best defensive back, set out the Jets game because he violated a team rule. And so uh, Cully, uh, he's not going to win games with his coaching because he doesn't have the talent. But I'll tell you what, at the end of that Tennessee game, he grew up two miles from Nashville. He played quarterback at Vanderbilt, had family and friends there. And at the end of the game, when everybody knew they were going to win, 
players, coaches were going over, putting their arms around him because they knew how much it meant to him. But afterward, he wouldn't talk about himself. It was all about the players and coaches. And you guys know how love player, how much players love to get credit when they win, and a coach gets blamed when they lose. <laughs> John, you you've been in the NFL for five decades covering this sport. Have you ever seen a roster get turned over as much as the Houston Texans this year? They may, there may be because I don't study the other teams like I do this one. And they gave Nick Casario a six-year contract, five million a year, another five million if they win a Super Bowl uh, during that period. And so he doesn't have to worry about getting fired. He has final say on all personnel matters. And he, it's amazing how many players he's traded, how many players he's cut. Sometimes people are like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe he cut that guy. Or trade. He traded Mark Ingram, their leading rusher, to New Orleans for a seventh-round pick in 2023. But they couldn't run the ball with him. They can't run the ball without him. And he'll probably include that pick in some deal in 2023. And... uh and it's nobody is immune. And so I've never seen it in Houston's football history. And, uh, it, you know, you, you hope as a fan that it, he has a plan, obviously, and he's got to get a quarterback. You know, when he was hired the first week of January, everybody thought they had their quarterback. It had come out nationally, released by people close to Watson, that he wanted to be traded. And at the time, they were coming off a terrible season. And so everybody thinks, okay, he'll get over it. He didn't. And so they got to start over. And uh, tell you what, you guys know last year with Watson, they almost beat the Colts two times. Got down there inside the five-yard line to beat them and turned it over. And they're not going to have to worry about that this season. John, when you mentioned Deshaun Watson, how close were the Texans to reaching a deal to trade him this year? And if they move forward, if they are able to strike a deal, you know, in the future, you mentioned this whole rebuilding phase, where is the most likely landing spot and what do the Texans want to get for him? Because he is an elite quarterback. You mentioned, you know, what he did to the Colts last year. Everyone has seen what he does to impact a football team. He is a great quarterback. Last season on a bad team, he was tremendous at his best seasons in every statistic and didn't translate to victories because they had no running game and the defense was pathetic. And uh, when they decided to trade Watson, they wanted three ones, two twos, and a starter, preferably on defense. And they had eight teams that were interested. So they thought they could get them bidding against each other. Jets and Dolphins in the same division, chasing the Bills. We didn't know they'd be chasing the Patriots. And so uh, then the lawsuits for sexual assault and misconduct started piling up and there were 22 and there are still 22. And so most of the team said when he gets his legal issues uh, cleared up, we'll let us know we'll be interested. And after the draft, there were four teams that had consistently showed interest, Miami, Philadelphia, Denver, and Carolina. Some others sniffed around, but none of them, except Philadelphia made a serious offer, and Watson has in his contract a no-trade clause. It's the kind of thing you don't even think about when you're signing a four-year, $156 million extension. They asked for one, sure, we're not going to trade him. We'll put it in there. So he rejected the Eagles, and uh, so he told them he only wanted to go to Miami. People are, why in the world would he want to go to the Dolphins? And we think 
that it's a lot having to do with South Florida. He likes to go there and he can kind of disappear there where here he can't. And uh, so uh, the Dolphins were the only team that showed serious interest. They were right on the verge of trading him for three ones and a three and a five. And then the owner, Stephen Ross, got cold feet a week before, said he wasn't going to do it unless he reached settlements with his accusers. And he had never tried to do it because I was told he thought reaching settlements meant you're guilty. And he didn't think he's guilty. But about five days before the trade deadline on a Tuesday, they decided to try, and they couldn't get all 22 to agree to sufficient settlements. The the attorney said a lot of it had to do because of the language. They wanted non-disclosures, and two or three of the victims wanted to be able to tell their story. And so they were not able to do it. And Stephen Ross said, we're not going to do it. So the trade deadline came and went. Now they can resume on March 16th, the start of the new year. And I expect, if you think about it, if he gets these issues cleared up, because right now they're just starting to do depositions. NFL still investigating. Houston police is investigating. The FBI has looked into it. And these the wheels of justice, you know, they turn really slowly. Meanwhile, he's getting paid $10.54 million a year to come to work, go to meetings, work out on his own, lift and do everything he's supposed to do because he wants to be ready. And so I think when the time comes, you'll still have uh, Miami, unless Tua continues to get better, Carolina, Denver, Maybe Pittsburgh, maybe Seattle, maybe Detroit, maybe the Giants. He's not going to approve going to Detroit. And we're curious, the Giants right now would have two top ten picks. And we're curious, would he agree to go to the Giants if the Giants were interested? Because he would give them instant credibility on the football field. So there are all kinds of possibilities. I'm so glad I don't have to worry about it before March 16th, and I expect if he's (laughs) traded – he will be. It'll be sometime close to the draft. One quick follow-up just from me. You mentioned Deshaun. Has he been pretty locked in in the meeting rooms from everything that, that you've heard? Has he really been involved despite not playing this season? According to what David Cully and several players, we haven't asked him a while because it was it was 24-7 news through training camp and through early in the season. Then now it's just kind of moved to the back burner, but he goes to work every day. John McClain, Houston Chronicle right there. Before we cut you loose, uh, you know, they the Titans have a stranglehold on the AFC South. Uh, Colts need to kind of win out or possibly drop one and sneak in. Just your overall thoughts of this team. I know you look at the division foes and whatnot. Uh, we've got a couple of big games coming up, but what do you like about this team overall defensively, offensively, Jonathan Taylor, Carson Wentz, et cetera? It was, it was interesting because in the first half against the Texans, Taylor didn't do squat. And I thought, wow, the Texans are playing really good run defense. Then he got through loose on that 83-yard run. He's been on a tear ever since. I'm writing a column this week. The Texans need to find a Jonathan Taylor after the first round because they got to get a legitimate running back. And I'm going to talk about his development, what he did against the Texans. The Colts, to me, they're a, they're a wild card contender. I picked the Titans to run away with a division before the season and the Colts to make a wild card. And the thing is, it is so exciting this year because there's not a dominant team. Even though Arizona 
right now has the best record, and they've done it the last three games, two and one without Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. So them in Green Bay appear to be the best in the NFC, and right now I'm not so sure Kansas City's not the best team in the AFC. On a winning streak, defense hadn't given up more than 17 points in the last four games, and then the Patriots are on a roll. But they still have a rookie quarterback who they still kind of baby. Throws a short pass. It goes for 40-yard touchdown. Looks great on the stats. I don't see them going to the Super Bowl. But with that running game, especially Colts got to go outdoors in uh, January, I think that bodes very well for them. they got to stay healthy up front. Legend from the Houston Chronicle. You can hear him on 610 in Houston, Sports Radio 610, that is. John McClain, before we let you go, have you been talking to your agent out in Hollywood? You've got eight movies under your belt. The Rookie, The Longest Yard, Spring Breakers. Don't forget about Secretariat, which I loved you in. You got any new movies that are coming up in 2022 we can look forward to? Yeah, in Secretariat, I had a line with a dying cannon, and they cut it out, and I told the director, <laughs> you didn't get $100 because you cut out my line. And, uh, <laughs> no, I got a bad – I got we, – we took – three of us took a picture with the director and Diane Lane, uh-huh. and I had my people at the Chronicle crop out everybody but me and <laughs> Diane Lane, and we ran it online like we're co-starring <laughs> in the movie, and people, all guys love Diane Lane. And uh, I got so much – feedback on that but no i have a bad agent haven't had any offers uh, except a chance to go play a judge on uh, the the young and the restless yes and i couldn't do it because i'd had shoulder surgery and couldn't travel that was three years ago so i need a new agent yeah I think for I'll sure have to fire, i'll have to fire myself Hey, hey, keep your phone on, Mr. McClain. I'm telling you, because when I look at John McClain, I think soap opera star. Yeah, I'd love to be a soap opera star. I need to do all I need to do. The way You're on I look with the right guy is audio. All I need is audio, not video. John, sure appreciate the help. Can't wait to uh, read what you're saying about this game coming up. And again, uh, you you can follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. Appreciate the time, sir. Keep up the great work. My pleasure, guys. Happy holidays, and thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Happy holidays, Thanks, John. John. Well, it's time to end the show with a little royalty, and I love doing it with this man. And we saw him this past weekend up in the rafters, as they say, guys, at Lucas Oil Stadium. He will be remembered forever in the ring of honor. Robert Mathis joins us now, courtesy of our friends at WinBet. Don't forget, every week, and uh, you, you've got great offers every week from WinBet and a 1,000 risk-free bet for new users. Hey, these guys are out at Touchdown Town, too, don't forget, so pay them a visit when you're out to the game. Robert, so happy for you this past weekend. I know it's a tough question, but overall, from Saturday through Sunday, seeing your name up there uh, for eternity, what, some of the feelings you you had going on when, you, when you're looking at 60,000-plus people that are chanting your name. Oh, man, thanks for having me on. And uh, it was it was almost like muscle memory. I was ready to go hit somebody. Uh, it was just uh, very electric, just very electric, and uh, a lot of lot of lot of emotions was just it was just flowing, man. Uh, happy, uh, wanted to cry, wanted to just hit something, man. I just wanted to hit something. <laughs> How was it with the teammates? You haven't seen some of your former teammates in a while. It was great up there when Dwight Freeney and you kind of connected and said it's just like old times. How was that seeing everybody? It was it was awesome, man. Uh, it's always a family reunion. Whenever you get the guys together, uh, we went through so much uh, as as players, and uh, just to see what where guys 
guys are at in their lives. It's just it's just awesome just to see them uh, have fun for uh, for good causes and uh, support each other. So it was awesome for me. Robert, has it sunk in yet for you that for as long as the Indianapolis Colts are are playing football, your name will be in the stadium. It will be a part of this team, like you said. I am Indy, and Indy is me. But has that sunk in yet for you? It normally doesn't resonate until I just sit back and reflect. So I'm going to do that in the, the, the next few days and just to see how big the magnitude of, of, of what where I am with that. So it was – I just can't ex, ex, express enough how much that meant to me, my family, and uh, how much fun that we had. So that's something I'm going to look back, watch the videos, and just have just have a good old time with myself about that. Plenty of videos, certainly to watch, all the photos that you can look back on as well. And then, of course, your teammates who are there to celebrate you, a few of your teammates who are still out there playing in T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle. Each of those guys I spoke with last week about the impact that you had on each of those guys as young players. They talked about the mentor that you are in the locker room, how much you helped each of them early on in their careers, guide them and introduce them into the NFL. Then both those guys go out and score touchdowns for you on that day as well. And each of them kind of said, the best thing we can do to honor Robert is to play really well. How proud are you to see the guys who are now those the two most veteran guys on the roster, Jack, T.Y., some of the other guys I know who you're close with as well, carrying that torch, that proud tradition that you guys have created from the decade that you played within this organization? Well, it's humbling because guys like uh, Marvin, uh, Reggie, Peyton, they taught me, and uh, it was my duty to teach, teach these guys. So they was very, they were young and they was willing to listen. And uh, some of the things that they taught me, I taught them. They're applying it and they're teaching the paying it forward, teaching the younger guys. So I always say Jack Doyle. He's my he was my favorite teammate, man. One of my favorite guys ever on the coast, you know, teams throughout my career because of how he carries himself. Uh, T.Y., same thing. He just carries himself. He just learned from Reggie and just and applied it. So those are the things that I, I, I appreciate most about people like that is those relationships, just how they just carry ha- carry it forward and uh, pay it forward. Uh, and the best way they can repay is just teach it, teaching this guy. And seeing that week in and week out. Robert Matthews, you have an impact on a lot of players that are still playing in the game and obviously with uh, some of your former teammates. So we look forward this week. The Colts are down at Houston, uh, a place you know very well. Highlight reel. I mean, highlight reel, uh, you know, plays that you have made in Houston here at Lucas Oil Stadium against the Texans, and they're going head-to-head right now. It's like one team – you know, we lost that one to Tampa, Robert, and it got away from us, and, and Houston's going the complete opposite way, even though we're on a puff, a playoff push right now. Uh, real quick before we go over that game, what's your take on this Colts team that's sitting at 500 right now? Oh, the sky is still the limit. Uh, we get hot at the right time. You, we all know we all know what can happen. And so I fully expect it to happen. And uh, – a little shot at Houston. Now, I appreciate them giving up their fifth-round pick back in 2003. <laughs> yes. Uh, Thank you, I just, Houston. I just wanted to spend, uh, spend a career thanking them for that, <laughs> yeah. uh, Sage. <laughs> Sage. But, no, I expect the team to do exactly what's expected. Oh, uh, a couple of hurdles, a couple of stumbling blocks, but I think we, we will get back on track. 
And uh, as long as you get hot in December and January, that's all that matters. Yeah. It's season now. Yeah, for sure. Well, you're here on behalf of WinBet, and we're going to talk about that game. Right now the line is the Colts minus nine, according to WinBet. They are going on the road minus nine points against the Houston Texans in their own barn, mind you, down there in Houston. What do you think the outlook for this game is? Who do you like, Robert? Oh, I like my guys. <laughs> okay. All okay. day. All day. And, and, and they said what they said, and, and, and the numbers will be met. <laughs> the numbers will be met. Courtesy of WinBet, don't forget they throw a great party every Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium in Touchdown Town as well as up on the club level. Robert, I can't wait, man. I always think of you when I see the uh, when I see the Texans and the Colts going back after it because of the impact you had on one of the greatest comebacks uh, in an NFL game that we've ever seen. So, man, I appreciate you catching up with us, talking about this Colts game, and again, uh, the Ring of Honor celebration was epic, bro. It was incredible to see those people around you and the excitement that those fans and your teammates had for you. Man, it's going to be great when, uh, you know, there's going to be some more names going up there, and we're going to be seeing you welcoming in to wearing a blue jacket very soon. Oh, awesome. Uh, I think we need to take bets on who's the next guy. <laughs> Man, I, I know. No kidding. Win bet. Get on that. Wait, give me one. Give me one. Yeah. Before we let you go, who would you like to see up there? Oh, man, you already know. It's, it's the GOAT number four. I bet you he goes up next. You do? Okay. Yeah, that's my call. That's your call. GOAT number four. That's yeah. Benetary. Don't forget there's a big fella on the left yeah. side. There's a big fella on the left side protecting Peyton. Peyton's blind side, Robert. Yeah, absolutely. Tariq Glenn. Oh, long overdue. Long overdue. Long well. overdue. I tell you, some people are saying you were a bit overdue, but you you made it, and it was a great celebration. J.J. Lara, any more congratulations before we say goodbye to Mr. Mathis? Nothing more than just congrats on uh, being honored for the career that you had, Rob. And, and, hey, also congrats on being named a semifinalist on your first year on the Pro Football Hall of Fame ballot. How about that? One of seven players. Oh, man, it was, it was, it was very humbling. So I just sit back and wait, and that's all, really all I can do. But I'm thankful the whole the whole process. Got to have parties for you and Reggie coming up in uh, Canton, hopefully. Let's go! Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, you know, now weed's going to turn up now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure, man. Well, I sure appreciate it. And, again, congratulations on the Ring of Honor stuff. Folks, keep your eyes peeled in the next, uh, you know, not too long future for Robert Mathis wearing the gold jacket soon after getting presented the blue jacket. I appreciate the time, big man. It was great seeing you this weekend. I know we're going to see you more. You had the key to the Colts' kingdom. So we're going to be seeing a lot of Robert Mathis down at Lucas Oil Stadium. All right, thanks, now for having me. All right, Robert Mathis right there uh, on behalf of WinBet. Don't forget, uh, you can see him in Touchdown Town as well as the WinBet club level at Lucas Oil Stadium. Folks, we were jam-packed today. Thanks to Matt Taylor, John McClain, and, of course, uh, our, our, uh, our very own Robert Mathis there. Lara, JJ, I love doing this stuff with you guys. Let's keep rolling. We're going to talk playoffs in the upcoming weeks, and uh, let's keep our fingers crossed because we know what this team can do. Plenty of ball left, Jeffrey. Plenty of time. Colts are are on the uphill climb right now. All right, got it right there. Thank you, Lara Overton. For J.J. Stankovitz and Lara Overton again, big thanks John McClain, Matt Taylor, and Robert Mathis. I'm Jeffrey Gorman. This is the Colts official podcast presented by our friends at WinBet and part of the Colts Audio Network. Folks, we do it week in and week out. We're going to holler at you next week after a big Colts victory down in Houston.